from Moses, the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, this is the In Her Boots podcast, a show about women cultivating the sustainable and organic agriculture movement and how she does it. My name is Lisa Kiverest, and I founded and lead the award-winning Moses In Her Boots project, providing training, resources, and support for women farmers. I'm a farmer myself, running in serendipity with my family in Wisconsin, and am the author of Soil Sisters, a toolkit for women farmers. The In Her Boots podcast celebrates the collaborative spirit of us women farmers and all women working to transform our food system and steward our land, sharing ideas and inspiration with each other. Whether you're a woman with a dream of starting your own farm or already have your hands deep in the soil, there's something for you here. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss anything. We're continuing with Margaret Chrome today and talking about how we as women working in sustainable agriculture can keep up our resilience in advocating for good food. Are you new to policy? This is the episode for you as Margaret gifts us with an accessible navigation of how farm bill programs are funded and how we can have our farmer voices heard. Margaret Chrome is policy program director for the Michael Fields Agricultural Institute in East Troy, Wisconsin. She works with the National Sustainable Agriculture Coalition to develop programs and policies supporting environmentally sound, profitable, and socially responsible agriculture. She also conducts workshops nationwide on grant writing and using federal programs to support sustainable agriculture. Since October 2018, Margaret has served as Interim Coalition Director for the National Sustainable Agriculture Coalition. We are into our next episode here with Margaret Crome. Thank you again very much for your time and for sharing your story and how all the pieces of both your personal life and your career working as an advocate in sustainable ag have influenced and led the, the benefits that all of us are reaping today. A lot has happened, right, in yeah. the last couple of decades, but it's because of the people involved and the leadership that has always come to the plate. But what has always struck me about you personally is resilience and that positive attitude you have always had to keep things going because the fight is long, right? And even in putting my toe into your world over the years or getting involved on specific issues and fighting for things that don't happen, do you know, or things going yeah. away in a fluff of a moment. And <laughs> all of these things, it, it takes it takes tenacity, resilience. And I'd love to hear your perspective on what, what keeps you going because it can yeah. get really big and I hate to say depressing, but just, you know what I mean? It's a long yeah. haul and you keep at it. Yeah, it's true. It's very interesting because, um, you know, in 2016, after the national elections and the state elections, boy, you know, I had friends and neighbors say, can we just talk? You know, I just, this is like the most discouraged I've ever been. And I, you know, there were several things that gave me a sense of um, a deeper keel through that. Oh, please share, because we still need that, yes. <laughs> we, you know, those were really rough waters, still are. But the things that have, that have helped me, have, I have been really quite privileged to work on appropriations work over the years. Um, you know, that work has always depended upon it being bipartisan. 
And can you just appropriations? Yeah, explain yeah, what yeah. appropriations is here. So for twenty something years, I coordinated nationally the grassroots appropriations campaign for the National Sustainable Ag Movement, and in that work, you know, we would again just never forget um, one of the examples of the thing I want to say. I want to say we need people of both parties, and we need to cultivate. Um, an understanding that we shouldn't write people off. So I remember there was a fellow from upstate New York, Jim Walsh, and when he came onto the House Appropriations Act subcommittee, which is the body that makes all the real decisions. And appropriations are... Oh, sorry, that's funding. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. it's the annual funding process. I'm so glad I was still not being clear. No, it's diving deep. But people yeah. assume once the Farm Bill passes, it's just a done deal. But yeah. there's annual... Annual appropriation. So the, if you look at federal policy, it falls into three camps. This is a digression, but a big framing, a quick framing digression. There are three basic things that happen that you can work on and make a difference. One of them is the Farm Bill. It happens maybe more or less every five years. And that's kind of the big rules of the road, all of the things that say programs can exist or won't exist. And they will say what kind of funding it might get, what's the ceiling, and it will say if that funding is at the discretion of appropriators every year, or if it's mandatory, that is, it comes in with the farm bill and it's automatic, or if it's even entitlement program, like food stamps, like the commodity program payments. So that happens, and then after that is the other, the second of the big things we work on, which is what we call the implementation of the farm bill. And that's when you have no longer, it's no longer Congress, which is of course the farm bill, it's now the agency that's implementing what they got handed by Congress when they passed the Farm Bill. And so this mostly goes to USDA. There are a few other FDA and other agencies, but largely it's USDA. And they can't, they sort of take that big picture and they start coloring in and getting more specific. And they said, you know, you the Farm Bill gives big picture information about what's going to happen. And then the USDA agency says, so this is how it actually would look. And they do what's called rule promulgation, promulgation rulemaking. Cannot get much more in the weeds than that. And it's usually the driest part and also where a great deal of work gets done. Sometimes That's the rubber hits the road. It's the rubber hits funding. the road. Yeah, it's critical. So we're coming into... how they're into, used so we exactly, can go back precisely. and ask for more. So it's crucial, this rulemaking piece of it um, and implementation is really, really very important. And we're just now, with the passage of the Farm Bill, about to start in on that. And then the third piece is happens every year. It's not just a periodic thing. It happens every single year. Programs that were authorized, remember the Farm Bill, that's an authorization. So in the Farm Bill, if a program is allowed to be funded and the kind of funding is what's called discretionary, subject to the discretion of appropriators, that is, that happens every single year. And so that was the, that's what's meant. So it's the funding for discretionary programs. Okay, so yeah, back, back, to, back to yeah. Resilient. I mean, this is something that yeah. happens all the time yeah. every year. And one of the things I learned in doing that work was that um, people are quick to dismiss people on the, you know, members of Congress on the basis. Sometimes it seems like that's a really good basis, but you just cannot be sure. This guy from upstate New York, people said, oh, my Lord, he never voted for anything environmental in his life. He's horrible. I'd, this is before the Internet, so I remember calling up, you know, on the telephone to folks up there. Oh, he's terrible. He ultimately 
we worked super hard. We made sure that the farmers who went in and met with him wore ties. They weren't kind of Birkenstocks ponytail farmers because <laughs> this was not, he was kind of more yes, of a straight arrow, yep. more of a straight arrow fella. And, but they were people who cared about the SARE program, for example, Sustainable Ag Research Education. And those were the kinds of things we carefully cultivated our supporters to be able to make sure that we had both parties actively caring about our issues. And I just have to say how rewarding that has been and how much it has given me hope because actually it has been sometimes in Republican administrations that we've gotten better funding. Isn't that interesting? Interesting. It is well, not, it it is be not the, always the knee jerk. No. It, no, no. We sometimes assume but, that it's only Democratic administrations, but that's not true. And we sometimes assume that we need to make sure we have our Democratic allies, but that's not true. These issues, for example, in the Senate, who is it who has led the biggest, who's been the biggest champion for putting payments on those farm subsidies? It's Republican. Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa. That's who cares more than anybody else and has fought, fought, fought. And that's really interesting, right? Yeah. You cannot make assumptions that you can, it's not easy, usually very smart to write people off. I have to admit there are a couple of people over the years that I have come <laughs> rather close to writing off, but very rarely. Most of the time, I'm really interested in how these issues cut in unexpected ways sometimes. That's interesting. So keeping an open mind on people. Yeah, and, and, and knowing that and recognizing that sometimes being prepared, you know, for that moment when things switch and you're, the stars align and you can make your policy go through um, and understanding that we have the power for, for grassroots influence far beyond what we are apt to imagine. You know, sometimes people really dismiss their own power. They just don't Mm -hmm. take it as seriously as they should. And I have, over the many years now, decades, have witnessed how smart, thoughtful people making their case in really cogent ways can make a big difference. And so sometimes that just simply trumps bad administration. Sometimes it trumps bad legislators. Sometimes we're on the defensive for an entire legislative session, but we still work to get past that. And I I guess that's where my confidence comes. The other thing that is important to me that gives me a sense of hope and forward-looking is I am a believer in the value of building institutions. So um, I'm a believer in the value of institutional anchors and having creating beachheads, you know, the place where you can count on having institutions that help carry the agenda forward. And so when I was a grad student, one thing I'm very proud of is having written the legislation and created the coalition to create the Center for Integrated Ag Systems at UW-Madison. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And that was... I should know that was your work. <laughs> yeah, well, it was Which really, continues today. And it was very bipartisan. I worked very, very hard to make sure that our coalition involved every kind of farm group, including some of the more conservative farm groups and the religious community and the environmental community and League of Women Voters. And it was a coalition that was designed to be big enough that nobody 
that people could feel like they could come into a big tent and, right. and support and it. And be welcomed. And be welcomed. And respected. And so we were able to create that kind of a coalition and thereby create an institution that I am very proud of. I don't serve on its advisory council or anything like that, but I'm proud that it has done what a good institution can do, which has been a source of activism and careful creative thought and service to the farm community and stakeholders for 30 years now. Now, that's actually the kind of thing that gives me hope. So a lot of our, if you look at the talking about um, and also, I will say other things that Michael Fields has been involved with have involved other building of capacity in the state. We've worked with others on building the farm to school program here and the Buy Local Buy Wisconsin program here and work to get funding and uh, positions for grazing. Those are the kinds of things that allow work to kind of get more solidified and to stand the test of time. And at the national level, if you think of all of the policy work that we've done, it's collectively, it's been all about, you know, creating EQIP and creating CSP and these these conservation programs that are so important to farmers and creating the capacity for beginning farmers to get trained and helped and loan programs to support them and creating programs that support uh, having funding for people who are historically underserved communities and helping to make sure there's a research agenda. And to me, that gives me hope because over time, we're able to create this understanding and this groundswell of how government is supposed to be serving these, these issues. So we have farmers markets now because we have the farmers market promotion program that have, has, has funded the flowering of direct marketing around the country. And that had, has, is a bipartisan initiative. It has to it be. It was. And it came out of INSEC. It was our creation. Why? because we heard from our members, because that's how democracy works. So that's why I have hope. It isn't that it works every time. It's not that every single time I am satisfied. I mean, this is a farm bill that really frustrated me with its failure to pass the limits, to its failure to pass payment limitations and instead expand loopholes. That drives me crazy. But we are in it for the long haul, as you said, and we have a lot of gains that wouldn't have ever happened if we didn't know that we have the capacity to reach across, we to, to bring into our fold unexpected champions, to puncture, oh, that. to puncture the stereotypes of members of Congress and help them see that our issues matter to people they might not have supposed they would matter to. That's, that's important. That's so refreshing to hear, especially in today's super partisan times. Yeah. It's, it's a... It's a vibe that needs to be refreshed, shall we say. And especially in the egg world, you're right, because these aren't partisan issues that we're working on. At least we yeah. by no means want to look at it through that lens of yeah. they're for the health of the country and the health of the food system, and they have to be collaborative. I think that our species is given to um, otherizing. <laughs> you know, we just naturally... Affinity groups, that's how we feel like, that's how our identity is formed, as much as by family, as much as by religion. It's, a, it's an identity by who is like us and how we define what liking us means. And that means that we are very apt to not notice that we could 
find allies in places that aren't familiar. And when we go into that unfamiliar place and explain to people why our issue matters to them and could matter to them and allow them to be part of a we that's a bigger we, it's smart. And we can do much more than we think we can. And it's much more partisan now than it has historically been, but we still can find that. And if it's if we are careful ourselves about building those bridges and communicating why our bigger we is of value, we will prevail. That is the message. <laughs> so thank you very much. That's a, that'll be perfect to end on. Perfect. Thanks for listening to our In Her Boots podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Kiverest, with the Moses In Her Boots project. This episode's audio engineer was Liam Kiverest of TechSocket.net. The podcast was brought to you by the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, MOSES. The mission of MOSES is to educate, inspire, and empower farmers to thrive in a sustainable organic system of agriculture. For more information on MOSES, In Her Boots, and a bounty of organic resources, check out mosesorganic.org.